Amen. Thank you, and it's a wonderful privilege to stand behind the pulpit and to be given the responsibility of uh, preaching the Word of God. And the singing was a blessing, and the playing of the instruments was a blessing. And uh, I'm here this morning because uh, Pastor's sick, uh, but also he has the responsibility of the funeral on Wednesday. And uh, we need to be much in prayer for that as well. Uh, Jill's father, Ken Christian, uh, meant a lot to Vicky and I. Uh, we had just arrived in Australia. Uh, we were in the Springvale Hostel, and Ken Christian and his wife lived down in Mulgrave. And so whenever we got in touch with uh, some people, uh, they uh, got in touch with the pastor of Croydon Baptist Church, who came down and visited us, and then organized with Ken to pick us up from the hostel and bring us to Croydon Church. And uh, meanwhile, our house was getting built, so we did that for about almost nine months in the early days. So we know uh, and we knew Ken for at least 46 years, and that's when we met your pastor, Pastor Gavin and Jill. They were just going out together, going to college about 46 years ago, so a lot of water under their bridge uh, since then. Amen. So in saying that, please be much in prayer for a pastor and family and of course as a church uh, we send them our condolences and our sympathies and we empathize uh, with them at this time. Thank you Cho uh, Troy for reading the word this morning. Uh, 1 John chapter 3 and chapter 4 are beautiful chapters in the word of God and folks sovereignty knows no boundaries. Sovereignty has no limitations. Let's just ask the Lord's blessing on his word as we look into it today. Let's pray. Our gracious God and our loving Heavenly Father, again we give thee thanks for the Lord's day. We do pray, Lord, that you would bless and undertake. May it be that as your word goes forth that we might have the open ear, the understanding heart to receive it. And Father, as we leave this place, may we be determined to be doers of the word and not hearers only. Father, bless your word to our hearts. Take the speaker hiding behind the cross, that no man might be seen to Jesus only. And we'll be careful to give you the praise and the glory in our Savior's precious and worthy name. Amen. Sovereignty knows no boundaries. Sovereignty, sovereignty knows no limitations. You know, the hearts of all men are in his hand. And he used men, small and great, to accomplish his will. He uses men, small and great, to accomplish his will. God Almighty worked in the hearts of many individuals to bring about the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. 2,000 years ago or so, Jesus was born. He came and was born the first time. Came the first time. And because of the fact that he came the first time, it gives us the assurance that he will come again the second time. But much needs to be accomplished before this happens. 
pastor has been dealing with some of those things. The rapture, the marriage supper of the Lamb, the tribulation period, and other things before the Lord comes the second time. Of course, he will come for us to the air, which is not the second coming. That's the rapture, when he takes the church, his bride, the body, back to heaven with him. But the reason why he came the first time is recorded in 1 John chapter 3 and 4. Why did he come the first time? What was the reason for his coming? Why did he not just come and set up his kingdom on earth the first time he was here? Well, this morning I want to point out to you several reasons why he came the first time. Which, as it were, will prepare the way for the second coming of Christ. We will turn to several passages in John's first epistle. So let's turn to 1 John chapter 3 and verse 5. For this is the first reason why Christ came. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 5 says this, And ye know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. So first of all, I want to say that our Lord did not, did not have a sin nature. In him is no sin. He did not and he could not sin. Some people believe that he could have sinned if he had chose to. No, he did not have a sin nature. He could not sin. Yes, he had a human body, which was subject to all the things that we know, and yet without sin. He grew weary. We know that. He thirsted. We know that. He slept. He had all the human traits. But he did not sin, and he could not sin. In him is no sin. It does not say in him was no sin, because was would be past tense. In him is no sin. In eternity, in the present time when he lived on earth, and in the present time now, in him is no sin. Now look at the next word, manifested. This is significance. Because it infers previous existence. You cannot manifest something that does not already exist. In Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6 it says this. For unto us a child is born, Jesus. Unto us a son is given, the eternal son of God. The son of God is eternal. He always was is and forever shall be. Now link that word manifested to the next five words. To take away our sin. And ye know that he was manifested to take away our sins. Manifested. The Lord who was pre-existing was manifested or made known or revealed, if you like, in order to take away our sin. That's the reason for his coming. When he was born in Bethlehem, that was not the beginning. 
He already was. He existed in eternity past. John chapter 1, 1 to 3 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He already existed. Isaiah 9, 6, A child is born, but a son is given. He already existed. Galatians 4, 14, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son. He was with God in eternity past, and when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son. 1 John 1, 5, he was manifested. He was revealed. He was made known to each and every one of us. And folks, our Lord Jesus Christ did not come to be an example although that is very true he was a great example he is our ultimate example but that's not the reason the whole reason why he came he did not come to be a teacher and that is true also a great teacher folks he came to take away our sins he was manifested to take away our sin by the shedding of his own precious blood he the lord jesus christ became our sin bearer he came to pay the debt of our sin he came to be our substitute folks and by the sacrifice on the cross he alone atoned for our sin folks you cannot pay for your own sin there are some churches out there teaching that by good works you can get to heaven and they teach many other ways of getting into heaven. You cannot pay the debt of your own sin. He alone could only do this, the Lord Jesus Christ, by the shedding of his own precious blood. Isaiah 53 says this, He was wounded for our transgressions. He, was, he will bear our iniquities. He was manifested to take away our sins. John 1, 29 says, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. He was manifested to take away our sins. Your sin, my sin, the sin of the whole world. He was manifested to take away the sin of the world. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For he hath made him to be sin for us. He was manifested, revealed, made known to take away our sin. I hope you're getting the picture, folks. We are sinners. We were born in sin and shaven in iniquity. And he was manifested to take away our sins so that we could inherit eternity with Christ in heaven. Hebrews 9.26 says this, But now, once in the end of the world, hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. He was manifested to take away our sins. 1 Peter 2.24 Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. Folks, he was manifested to take away our sins. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 5, the writer is careful to say of our Lord that in him is no sin. You see, a sinless, a sinful person could not take away our sin. He was sinless. In him is no sin. And folks, that is of the utmost importance 
Because only the sinless Son of God could qualify to be our sin bearer, could qualify to be our substitute, could qualify to fulfill all the Old Testament types. He took our sin in his own body on the tree. The hymn writer has put it this way. There was no other good enough to pay the price of sin. He only could unlock the gate of heaven and let us in. I think that sums it up. He was manifested to take away our sin. He was revealed to take away our sin. The second reason why Christ came can be found in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8. He that committeth sin is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, made known, revealed to destroy the works of the devil. He came to be our sin bearer. He came to destroy the works of of the devil. Notice again in that verse the word manifested. Jesus Christ was made flesh to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus Christ was made known to us to destroy the works of the devil. And folks, never underestimate the devil. The devil has power, he is very strong, he is very real. And that's why Paul exhorts us in Ephesians 6 to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Because we wrestle not against principalities and powers and wickedness in high places. We wrestle with the devil and all these powers. Because the old devil is very strong. I want to turn to a few scriptures. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verses 14 and 15. 2 Corinthians 11 and verses 14 and 15. And here we see that the devil is subtle, an angel of light. And we need to look at these verses very closely. 2 Corinthians 11 verses 13, 14 and 15. For such are false apostles. Now folks, this is the word of God. This is not made up. This is the word of God. This is true. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no marvel. Listen. For Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Never underestimate the subtleness of Satan. He is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers, the devil has ministers. There is no great thing, therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. Folks, Today, in many of our pulpits, right throughout the world, not just in Australia, there are those who are transformed 
into ministers of righteousness, and according to the word of God, they are nothing but the devil's disciples. We need to be very careful. The old devil's very subtle. Angel of light. Now please turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. He is not only very subtle, he is very sinister. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, special people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Praise God if you're saved this morning, you have come from darkness into the light of the gospel, into the glorious light of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now please turn back to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12. Ephesians chapter 6. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places, the rulers of the darkness of this world. He is subtle. He is sinister, possessing the powers of darkness. Now please turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. It says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, he's our enemy. Your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. He is savage. So he is subtle. He is sinister. He is savage, walking about seeking whom he may devour. That word devour literally means to tear in pieces. And folks, the world, no wonder the world is trying to downplay the devil. And when you see little cartoons of the devil with his horns and a little pitchfork and many other advertisements and so forth, they try to downplay the reality of a devil. Listen, he is a real person. He is out there. He's seeking and walking about like a roaring land, seeking whom he may devour. Now, he's not going to devour his own. So who is he going to devour? He's out to devour you. He's out to devour me, and we need to be very careful. He is subtle. He is sinister. He is savage. Now, please turn to Second Thessalonians, chapter two. Second Thessalonians, chapter two, verses eight through ten. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, the man of sin, and so forth, with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved, whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power. See, he is supernatural. The old devil is subtle. He is sinister. He is savage. And he is supernatural. Lying wonders. He is the instigator of sin. He causes suffering, folks. He causes sorrow. He causes, in many instances, sickness. Not all the time. 
He is a wily old character. And Paul exhorts us to stand against the wiles of the devil. Praise God, the Lord has provided us with the weapons of our warfare. And the old devil is a defeated foe. Folks, we do not fight for victory. We fight in victory. We, we are on the Lord's side. We are on the victory side. He gave us his life as a sacrifice for sin that we might be saved and added to his family. And now we are on the victory side. He fulfilled this great prophecy in Genesis 3.15 when he defeated the devil. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. Yes, the devil has powers, but they are limited. He knows his time is short. And folks, every day the devil knows the scriptures better than we do. And he knows his time is short. He's tried to destroy the church. He tried to destroy the Messiah. And he failed. He tried to do things in the Garden of Eden. A little bit of success, but he failed. Tried to do things at the flood. And he failed. Tried to do things at the Tower of Babel. And he failed. The fallen angels that cohabited with women tried to destroy the seed and he failed again. And he's trying to destroy the church and he will fail again. And he will try to destroy Israel and he'll fail again. He's an old failure, the devil. Failure from the beginning. Because the Lord was manifested to destroy the works of the devil. But do not underestimate underestimate his power he's not yet bound Satan is still the prince of the power of the air he is powerful but praise God our Lord is all powerful and we're on the victory side so the Lord came the first time to manifest himself to declare himself to take away our sins. To destroy the works of the devil. Our third reason as to why Christ came the first time, or was manifested the first time, is that we might live through him. Look at 1 John chapter 4 and verse 9. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 9. In this was manifested... Again, revealed the love of God towards us because that God sent his only begotten son into the world. Why? That we might live through him. In other words, to give us eternal life. See, the old serpent, the devil, brought in sin and death. But our Lord Jesus Christ brought in life everlasting. You should be asking yourselves now, before we even finish, do I have eternal life? Do I have everlasting life? Jesus Christ was manifested uh, that we might have life through him. Do you have that life? 
We'll not turn to these verses because time's rolling on. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish or should not perish, but have everlasting life. 1 John 5, 11 and 12. John chapter 5, verse 24, all speaks of eternal life and many other verses in the scriptures. It's one thing, folks, to pay the penalty for our sin. But our Lord, our Lord went further than that. He gave us the free gift of eternal life. He paid the penalty of our sin, which was enough, which was ample. We, we, we could not pay that ourselves. He paid the penalty of our sin, but he also gave us the free gift of eternal life. No cost, no charge. It's a free gift, no purgatory, no penance, nothing like that. It's a free gift given by God through the sacrifice on Calvary. But there is a believing and a receiving. There is a repenting and accepting. Please turn to Acts chapter 26. Acts chapter 26 and verse 20. Acts 26, and verse 20 says this. I'll read verse 19 as well. Whereupon, O Grippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision, but showed first unto them at Damascus, and at Jerusalem, and throughout all the coasts of Judea, and then to the Gentiles, that they should repent, and turn to God, and do works meet, for repentance, repent. Acts chapter 17 and verse 30. Acts chapter 17 and verse 30 says this, And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Folks, there is a repenting and accepting, a believing and receiving in him shall not perish believe in him and we shall we will not perish but have everlasting life believing in the lord jesus christ okay this takes us to our fourth reason as to why christ came please turn to 1 john chapter 4 and verse 10 1 john chapter 4 and verse 10 Herein is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son. God sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The death of the Lord Jesus Christ had this dual purpose, if you like. First, to pay the debt of man's sin. He came to give us eternal life. And secondly, to appease the righteous wrath, the righteous anger of a holy God by an acceptable offering. Nothing else would do to appease the righteous anger of God. God is angry with sin. 
And the only way that that could be appeased, the only way that anger could be turned away, was by the shedding of the blood of his own precious son. All through the Old Testament, we see sacrifices being made. The blood was shed. In Genesis, in the garden, animals' blood was shed to provide a covering for sinful man. In Exodus, the lamb was sacrificed, the blood was shed, and the children of God were kept safe from the death angel while they were under the covering, the blood covering. In Leviticus, during the wilderness journey and the tabernacle, we read about the sacrifices that satisfy a holy God when the blood was shed and placed onto the mercy seat. Right throughout the Old Testament, sacrifices were made to appease a holy and righteous God. But they continued. It was year after year. They had to make sacrifices. They had to shed the blood of the animals. The high priest even had to go into the Holy of Holies once a year on behalf of the people and on behalf of themselves and sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat so that they could have God's forgiveness for their sins. Please turn to when you go home, not now, Hebrews chapter 9 and read the first 14 verses. Again, time forbids. So 1 John 4.10 says, He loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Not only did he die for our sin, not only did the blood of Christ cover our sins, but it covered the wrath of a holy God. So Jesus Christ came, not only to take away our sins and to destroy the works of the devil, to give us eternal life, he also entirely and absolutely uh, indicated, as it were, the holy, righteous character of God. He satisfied all the demands of his holiness, satisfied all the demands of his justice, enabling him to be merciful to us, the sinner. It's a turning away of wrath. By the offering of himself. Now again we haven't got time to go into this. But I just want to highlight an example from the Old Testament. This is exactly what Jacob did. When he's going to be confronted by his brother Esau. Remember Jacob stole the birthright from Esau. And then they separated. And Esau became afraid to meet up with Esau. And if you wanted to go back in uh, Genesis 32 and verse 20, it tells us that he made a present. He made a present, an offering, if you like, to turn away the brother's righteous anger. See, he was righteously angered. He had been duped. Uh, the birthright was stolen from him. Jacob was coming face to face with the one who could rightly condemn him. And he prepared a present to appease his anger. And folks, this is exactly what God has done. And the only thing that would appease him was the present, if you like, or the shed blood of his only begotten son. Because if we were to come before a holy God without an offering, without the shed blood, we would be condemned forever into hell. 
But because we have accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior, we now stand with the imputed righteousness of Christ. And we can come. It's a gift. It's a present, if you like, which Christ gives to those of his children. And when we come before a holy God, his anger is appeased because of the covering. Folks, our God is an angry God. You say, oh, where did you get that from? Yes, he's a merciful God. Yes, he's a God of justice. But he is an angry God. He is angry about sin and the sin that had to be dealt with. David the psalmist in Psalm 7 and verse 11 says this, God judges the righteous and God is angry with the wicked every day. Don't think the wicked is getting away with their sin. God is angry with the righteous, or God is angry with the wicked every day. Praise God, he hath not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. Where would we be if God judged us according to our sins and our iniquities? He could have judged us, but instead, he laid our sins on him, on the tree. Why did the Lord Jesus Christ come the first time? He came to be our sin bearer. He came to destroy the works of the devil. He came to give us eternal life. He came to appease the angry anger of a holy God. Lastly, 1 John chapter 4 and verse 14. 1 John chapter 4 verse 14 says, And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. This is the fifth reason why the Lord Jesus Christ came. He came to be the Savior of the world. <laughs> Folks, whenever Jesus loved, God loved. When Jesus had mercy... God had mercy. When Jesus suffered on the cross for our sins, God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. He came to be the saviour of the world. Please turn to Colossians chapter 1, 16 and 17. Colossians chapter 1, 16 and 17. For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things. And by him all things consist. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things and by him all things Consist. He is God. He is deity. He never relinquishes control. Yet, he came to this sin-cursed world and was born as a baby. And as he lay in Mary's arms, he never relinquished control of this world. And as he grew up as a young boy, he never relinquished control of this world. He never ever did and he never ever will yet he became a servant was made in the likeness of man and was obedient unto death even the death 
of the cross, Philippians 2, 5 through 8. And in doing so, he became the savior of the world. Folks, John 4, 14 says, And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. And Luke chapter 2 and verse 11 says this, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And Acts 13, 23 says, of this, mean, of this man's seed, that's King David's seed, hath God, according to his promise, raised up Israel, a saviour, Jesus. Titus 2.13, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Philippians 3.20, for our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, he came to be the Savior of the world. He died a horrible death of suffocation on the cross. To pay the debt of our sins. Let me ask you in closing. Is he your saviour today? If not, may I remind you that time is short. He came to take away our sins. He came to destroy the works of the devil. He came that we might live through him. He came to be the propitiation for our sins. He came to be the Savior of the world. May the Lord bless His word to our hearts. Let's pray. Our gracious God and our loving Heavenly Father, again we give thee thanks for the opportunity of coming to thy house this day. We thank thee, Father, for what we have heard in the Sunday school, what we have heard through the message. And, O oh God, our Father, we do pray that if there should be one or more in our meeting that does not know Jesus Christ as Savior, that they might avail themselves this day, because time is short. And, Father, we do not know when you will appear, but we know it's soon. When we look around world events today, we know that the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. So, Father, just speak to men and women in their heart, convince and convict them of their sin and of their need of the Savior. And Father, for those that are thine, would you pray, Lord, that we and I have been built up in our most holy faith, drawn closer to yourself through the word spoken this day. We ask now, Father, as we close, that you be with us and undertake as we sing our last hymn in our Savior's precious and worthy name. Amen. Amen.